Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hey there, welcome to episode number 76 of the Familypreneur podcast. Today we are talking taxes. Now there are two reasons that you're going to want to keep listening. One, you want to listen if you haven't filed your taxes yet, because it is tax time and we need to get in that mindset. Number two, maybe you already have filed taxes. You want to listen to make sure that you did everything the right way and that you are capitalizing on all of the refunds that you are entitled to as a business owner. I will tell you in this episode, things were said that have totally changed the way we handle our finances within our home, and it's going to pay off big time at tax time next year. So if you are new to the podcast, you have found us on our midweek mastermind. Every Wednesday, we invite a guest to the show and we talk about some aspect of business, family, raising entrepreneurial kids, or the familypreneur balance in general. On Fridays, I will give you some family reflections. On Mondays, we talk about marketing. I am a former Facebook employee after all. And then we'll be right back here every Wednesday for another mastermind. The fun thing is, is we are currently alternating between adult and kid guests. So during our midweek masterminds, you'll hear from both grown-up and children entrepreneurs. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. It means so much to me. I love the community that we are building just by listening to this podcast together, but also in our free Facebook group, the Familypreneur Community. And if you're not in that group, I encourage you to give this podcast a pause. Head over to familypreneurcommunity.com and you can join the group. Now let's introduce today's guest. She left the IRS in 2017 because she was tired of entrepreneurs like us paying way too much in their taxes. Today, we are so lucky to be joined by Carlotta Thompson. Hey, Carlotta, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Me too. I'm excited to have you. So we are still relatively early in the year and before, you know, anybody's filed their taxes yet. And that's what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about some tax stuff. But first, I'd love to hear a little bit about your family stuff. So tell me about your home life and the journey to becoming an entrepreneur. All right. So I have three kids, two girl, two boys and a girl, uh, 12, six and three. Who else has problems remembering how old your kids are? Yeah, that's definitely me. And then my husband, of course, he's a emergency room nurse and he travels to different locations. And so um, he's gone a lot. And so I'll just start with like kind of my journey to how I got here. I 
started financial coaching as part of ministry. Done that for many years. It's something that's very important to me. And in 2017, I realized that you can actually like start a business online and make money doing what you love. And so I started financial coaching because I couldn't do tax stuff because I was an IRS agent. So um, I started financial coaching online, loved it, was booked for a TV show, did all these amazing things. And so I put in my notice at the IRS because I was getting to a point where it was becoming a conflict of interest. And then during that time frame, I the show buckled. I found out I was pregnant. I had a miscarriage and everything came tumbling down around me. I'm sure some of you can relate to some crazy stuff happening in your life. I pretty much went into depression for a couple of months and was like, okay, where do I go from here? So I had to get myself back up, get out of bed and say, Carlotta, it's time to do some, some stuff. Like you gotta, you gotta do something. Cause now you've quit your job. So I started this tax practice. And uh, when I left the IRS, my, my goal was to be a financial coach, but I let all of that go. And I started becoming a tax strategist because that's what I needed to do to make money. Cause everyone needs tax strategy. And so that's where this was born. I became a tax strategist last January. So one year ago, um, my business grew like crazy. 95% of my business is referrals. And I just love to help people pay the least tax legally possible. And so that's, that's, I love that you threw in legally possible. So it's all legal. Yeah. Like we're not doing no shady stuff. Being an ex-IRS agent, you're held to an extremely high standard. So you're like way more than any other accountant. They're looking at you. And so, you know, a lot of my friends who are IRS agents are like, Carlotta, you're walking the line. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not crossing the line. Like your accountant's job is to make sure that you are paying the least tax legally possible. And you want to make sure that they're not doing anything shady But what I hear a lot of times is my accountant won't let me deduct that because it throws up a flag. Like that is the most ridiculous thing ever. Okay. And sorry. One of the myths is if you have a home office, it throws up a flag. Like your home office is not throwing up a flag. Okay. I've, I've classified thousands of returns for the IRS. That's a myth. But a lot of accountants are terrified of the IRS. And those are the accountants that you don't want because if they're terrified of the IRS, they're not doing you any favors. (laughs) They're not doing anything to help you pay less tax because they're worried that that's going to throw up a flag. And we'll talk about some of those strategies. Awesome. So your husband does a lot of traveling and you've built this business with your kids at home over the past year. Do you have any balance strategies? So my mother-in-law takes care of my kids. If they were here, I would probably be like screaming at them because they drive me crazy and they get on my computer and they're like, just start banging buttons. And you're just like, Oh my gosh, you're going to break something. But anyways, no, I'm, I'm going to start listening to this podcast, go back and just binge listen to it. Cause I need to learn that stuff. You know, I think that my thing is, I know what you're supposed to do, but I have a really hard time doing it. I know that I need to cut the cut the phone off and I need to cut the computer off at a certain time and all those things. But I also think when you're when you're in your first year, you make a lot of sacrifices to get where you want to be. And then then the balance of, okay, what can we do? Also in your business, you're gonna have seasons, right? So you have seasons of when things are extremely crazy and you have seasons when they're not. And so for for you, your season is going to go with whatever you're doing. Like if you were an accountant, you're really busy except in the summer. 
So no one's trying to do tax strategy or get their tax returns done in the summer. So my summers are dedicated to going to church camp with my kids and going to um, vacations with my kids. And so my kids get my whole summer, but they don't get a lot of time outside of the summer, which, you know, sucks right now, but we're all building a business so we can be millionaires. So we can just give them all our time. Really? That's what we're really doing. And balance looks different to everyone. So I I had to ask you that question, even though I kind of knew what the answer was going to be. And I feel like I do record. We talked about this too. I record the video. Even if I don't use the video, I kind of want to just post the video of your face when I ask that question. Like, girl, please. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm I'm really bad with facial expressions. So I'm like, there is no lying for me. Like I'm going to tell you how it is because I think people need to know being an entrepreneur is extremely difficult. And when someone tells you it's going to be easy, they're lying to you. Yes, there are people that can do it in four hours a week, but don't start a a full business as an entrepreneur, believing it's going to be easy and believing you're going to have work-life balance. If someone had told me how difficult this was a year ago or a year and a half ago, I would have never left probably the IRS. Not because I don't love it, but because it is hard. It is hard. And I left too early. Like if you're thinking about leaving your job, you need to try this out more first and you need to build this while you're still doing that. And I just jumped full force and never looked back. And that was dumb. Now, am I glad I did it? Probably because I would have never been here. But then I look back and I'm like, okay, was that the smartest decision? Because I was the breadwinner. I was the insurance. I was the everything. And I jumped to, I jumped ship too soon, first of all. And secondly, I just didn't fully think about, I didn't know how hard it would be. I looked at all the shiny objects and was like, yes, freedom and time and all those things. And that's so not true because when you're in business for yourself, you have a lot of time invested. Well, you're not alone there. I jumped too early too when I left. So I'm sure that a lot of people know what that feels like. Yeah. Now, I end a lot of my episodes asking what the number one tip of advice is for parent entrepreneurs. I actually want to kind of start and segue with that question. So what's your number one piece of advice for somebody who's thinking about making that switch from corporate to entrepreneurship? So I'm going to tell you, I, I am a financial coach for individuals and I don't do it a lot anymore. I do it a lot locally just because that's what I'm known for in my community. And I've changed a lot of lives that way. The number one thing I'm going to tell people is to get a side hustle, okay? And that's not necessarily being an entrepreneur. It's a side hustle to make you some more money, to be able to pay your bills faster and to get out of debt faster. But most importantly, it's going to allow you to write off things that you already have to pay anyway. So it's going to help you to get more money back from the IRS or pay less tax, wherever you're kind of at. So when you start your side hustle, you already have deductions before you ever really have a business. I mean, of course, you can't deduct those until you have a business. But what the IRS says is your business begins when you have something available for sale. It doesn't say you have to have sold anything. It doesn't say that you need to have made a dollar. It doesn't say any of that. It says when you have something available for sale. So you've put an offer out to the world. Now, that is when your business starts. Now, of course, if you go two or three years and you've made no money, I mean, no, the IRS is going to flag that. But if you go a year and you've really tried to sell your stuff and you haven't sold it, well, then you still have a business because you had something available for sale. 
And, you know, as long as the second year you're making money or whatever, or after six months, you're making money. I mean, don't, don't continuously do something if you're not making money at it. So you can write, if you have a home office, one of the things is people think like they have to have an entire room with real walls, you know, like this, <laughs> that separates their home office from the rest of the house in order to take that deduction. The IRS yeah, I says, that. yeah, the IRS says a space. So you have to be able to walk into that room and you have to be able to tell where the office starts and ends. So I tell people to put like bookshelves to separate it or like those little room dividers just to separate off that. And then you take that area as your home office. Also, you've got your cell phone. I mean, any of you know, if you become an entrepreneur, 90% of your time on the phone becomes listening to podcasts, listening to books, working all the time. Like your spare time is no longer playing stupid games on your phone. It's talking to people and, and doing business stuff. Like it becomes your life. So your, your cell phone becomes probably 80% deductible. Your home internet, like you no longer do anything besides business because that's just how we are. When we start a business, it lights us up and that's just what our life becomes. And so, you know, a percentage of your internet, and these are things that you're already paying for, but now they become a business expense. So you already have expenses right out of the gate before you ever even spend a dollar outside of what you're already spending. And so that's why I tell people, start a side hustle because for tax wise, that's going to help you more than anything because you can make that money practically tax free. Does that make sense? So like if you make a thousand dollars, you already have a thousand dollars in expenses probably that you're already paying. So then that's, that money is just a thousand of income minus probably 1500 of expenses. Well, you just lost $500, but didn't really have a loss. Hmm. No, I like that. And I, I love how you don't even have to exaggerate because once you start a business, literally 80% of your time online and on the phone, whether you're trying or not becomes business related. Like it's surprising how much stuff I do that I don't even consciously think that it's business related, but even getting lost in Facebook land. Yes, because you're looking at ads, you're looking for clients, you're looking for those things. Another thing is when you start your business, you have to remember, you have to, you're trying to start a real business. Like if you're just doing a hobby, you can't deduct all of these things. The The laws are different. So we're not talking hobby laws, right? We're talking, you're trying to make a dollar, you're trying to make a profit and you're really trying to build a business. Okay. We're not talking hobby stuff. So Keep that separate. And what I mean by that is the IRS has a whole set of rules if you're not trying to make a profit, okay? So all the rules I'm telling you are is if you're trying to make a profit. So if you're trying to make a profit and you start your business, all the things that you bootstrap into your business are now a deduction. So how many of you are like, you use your desk that you've had for five years. You use your computer that you've had for a year. You use this extra monitor that you have. You use all these things to put in your office in order to bootstrap your business because you don't want to have a bunch of cash outlay. Did you know all of those things are also deductible? When you turn a, a personal asset to a business asset, it becomes a deduction. Mm, I had no idea about that either. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing because... You know, you might have a computer that cost you a thousand dollars last year. It's it's worth, you know, when you start your business, it's worth eight hundred dollars. Well, that's now a tax deduction. And if you don't take those, then you've lost them. And so you've got to make sure that you're remembering to deduct that stuff. Holy moly. I could go back in time. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> and that's another thing when you're not, you know, what the biggest thing I saw when I was an IRS agent is no one taught, no one teaches business owners what they can do, right? You go to an accountant, they do your taxes, you sit there, you answer what your expenses were and you're done. And no one's educating them on it, what's actually deductible and what they can do to lower their tax bill. No one's teaching that stuff. And so I would go in and I mean, even people that were paying their accountant $10,000, I'm talking big companies, their accountants would totally miss things that were deductible because they weren't doing any strategies. They weren't doing any educating of, of tax deductions. They were doing nothing except just doing a tax return and some bookkeeping. And so it's your job to learn those things. That way you can, first of all, cut your tax bill. Secondly, the IRS expects you to know these things, even though you don't know them, right? They don't care that you (laughs) hired an accountant. You signed the return saying it was correct. Your accountant is not responsible for any of that. As long as you gave them the numbers, they have no responsibility at all. And so what happens is you have to know because the IRS is going to audit you, right? Like, you know, it's just part of a part of being a business is you're, you're probably going to get audited at some point when you're a business. Not everyone gets audited, but at some point you probably will at least get like a mail audit. And so you, it's your responsibility to know what to keep up with. Okay. How many of your accountants are telling you what exactly what you need to keep up with? No one. So you've <laughs> got to learn that stuff. And so that's why I left the IRS. Like I was like, I have to educate these people. I didn't expect to have a tax practice. I expected just to go out and just start educating and, and helping people. And so they understood exactly what they were supposed to be doing. So they could pay the least tax legally possible and dominate the IRS at the same time. So I have a question about, it goes back a little bit to the hobby versus business thing. Okay. With... I know there's a lot of classifications, like my business is an LLC and there's corporations and there's sole proprietors. Like, is there one of those things like at a bare minimum that you need to be a business or can you start a business without a formal license? Yeah, you can start a business, just open your doors and start trying to sell stuff. The hobby <laughs> thing is only what the IRS says is a hobby is if you're not trying to make a profit. That's oh. that's all a hobby is. So like if you're just, if you're not trying to make money, then that's when you're a hobby. And so like um, an example, you go start a farm. It's really just your pets out there and you write off $20,000 of expenses for feeding your pets and maybe selling one every once in a while. Well, you have no profit intent. You're not going to be able to sell enough cows to ever make a profit because really they're your pets. In business, this happens when you consistently have losses and you're not doing anything to change it to make more money. And it really, if you ever get into that position where the IRS is questioning if your business is a hobby, as long as you know for sure that you're trying to make a profit, first of all, don't ever talk to the IRS without a tax professional. Like that's, don't ever do that. Secondly, find someone who is amazing at writing up this law because that is what I thought, like at the IRS, I did that so much that I know exactly how to just shift a few things and say, okay, well, well, just because we did not make a profit doesn't mean we, we didn't try to make a profit. So this is what we did. This is what we changed. This is how we shifted things in order to make money because there's a lot of businesses out there that go three, four, five years without figuring out what the secret sauce is to making money. So you just have to shift those things and you have to be, uh, I don't know. Do you have a lot of M- people that are in multi-level marketing that listen to this? Some. 
Yeah. So, okay. so in multi-level marketing, I have a lot of clients that'll come out of the gate and they'll make, you know, four or $500. Their expenses are four or $5,000. Well, in multi-level marketing, that's our, they already have a target on their back because they're multi-level marketing and the IRS is like, uh, is this really going to ever make you money? And so if you're only making four or $500 in the IRS's eyes, are you really trying to make a profit? So you have to have like a plan. What are you going to do this year different than last year to make more money? And then if that didn't work the third year, what are you going to do this year different than the last two years to make more money. And that's really what you've got to do. But don't really get caught up into that. As long as you're trying to make a profit, we can document the rest. I mean, you just need somebody to help you. When you asked me while ago is, do you have to have a type of business? No, but it does make you look like you are trying to have a business. Like it makes you look more legit, right? Mm -hmm. You need to look legit. Uh, it's not required that you have that. Oh, well, I am not allowed to tell you what type of entity to be because I'm not a lawyer and those are legal things. Okay. But I will tell you for tax purposes, the best thing to be is a limited liability company because it can work with you the most, right? It can be, it can take the version of um, a sole proprietorship, a partnership or an escort because an LLC is not... And and we're probably going to get way too much over people's heads in this. So I don't want to do that. But just remember, an LLC is not recognized by the IRS. So you elect how it's to be treated, which Mm. is really good in strategy. So I would suggest if you're going to start something for tax purposes, that it be an LLC. So with the LLC, you've got a little more flexibility with determining how the IRS perceives it or processes it. Exactly. Now, the number two thing is you have to make sure that you have a business account and you have to keep your business income and expenses separate from your personal because that's one of the things the IRS looks at if they're questioning whether you have a real business or not. Also, like if your accountant's trying to help you and you have all that crap commingled, it's, it's almost impossible. You're going to miss out on deductions because you're going to have to go back through it for them. You're going to forget. You're not going to be sure. Like, was that Walmart trip for personal? Was that for business? I mean, you have to keep your stuff separate. It's not even a question of, is that okay? Like you have to keep it separate. The first thing you should do when you start a business is to get a separate business account and a separate business credit card, or just use one of your personal cards for business only. But you've got to make sure that you separate those Because if you don't, you're going to have a mess on your hands. That's the first step when you're creating a business. It's just to separate that stuff. Well, that's definitely good to know. Okay, so let's talk about those people that are like, they've already started their business. They're ready. They're making money. They're like, okay, how do I strategize to pay less tax to the IRS because I'm paying too much or my refund has drastically decreased. And so in those cases, I'm going to tell you, your first strategy it comes about the time that you're making a net of $40,000. That is when you really want to elect to be an escort. If you're an LLC, you just make an election with the IRS to become an escort. That creates a whole lot of other things that you have to do where you have to have you know, your bookkeeping in order. You have to have a separate tax return. You have to have all these things, but it is by far going to save you more tax than what it will cost you in extra fees, right? So that's where your first strategy comes in. After that, I'm going to tell you, I mean, 
I say that's your first strategy. That's your first strategy. That's like kind of an overall big, big strategy mm-hmm. of um, doing things. Now, a lot of you have kids and you're, a lot of you are making under a hundred thousand dollars. When you have kids, you get something called earned income credit from the IRS. If you are in the tax brackets to get, like if you're within a certain amount, I will, I would say probably around that $20,000 mark. If you can see that you can keep your income into that, then you're going to want to do some strategies with earned income credit and some other, and you're going to mix those strategies. I'm not going to go into that on this podcast, but if you're in that place of where you are, where you think you can get your expenses down to around $20,000 with the use of some strat- some other strategies that we're going to go over, then I would say make sure that you talk to your accountant about that because that can really increase your tax refund. What do I mean by other strategies? Yeah, so, that's what I'm like. What other strategies are we talking about here? Yeah. So let's talk about the, str- the other strategies. Paying your kids. You're going to hear all of you probably listening to this have kids. You can pay your kids up to $12,000 a year from your business as long as they are working for you. You cannot just pay them just because they have to be working for you. Not just because they're cute. Yeah, no. Um, unless you use them in, in marketing and stuff like that, then you can pay them for their time. The IRS says for them to actually be working like in your business, then they need to be about, to, to be about seven years old. If they're in your, if you're paying them for marketing, like they're, you're taking professional photos of them, you're using them in your videos and stuff like that, they can be younger, but they have, it has to be ordinary and necessary for someone. So it really has to be like a professional grade video or they need to be on a billboard or they need to be in your marketing materials or something. And then you can pay them an ordinary rate for that if they're under seven. If they are seven and older, the things that you can have them do are just things that you already have other people do. I mean, how many of your seven-year-olds are better at Facebook than you are? Have them doing your social media. Have them doing your your Twitter. Have them doing, I mean, who even uses Twitter YouTube. anymore? YouTube. Oh, YouTube. <laughs> have doing, yeah, have them doing your YouTube. Like, have them actively involved so you can pay them up to $12,000 a year. And that, and remember, you don't have to pay them hourly. You can pay them based on value, like you would someone else that, that you would pay. So say they're doing all of your uh, YouTube. I know my kids, like I'll have them do some editing. Well, then I'm going to pay them like based on that job. Or you can pay them a salary like you would someone else. But any, either way that you go, you need to, you can pay them up to $12,000 a year. So some of you have like five kids, right? So that's $60,000 off your taxes if you pay them. Now, the, the thing is, people have difference of opinion about this. I'm going to tell you as an IRS agent, you have to pay your kids and let them keep the money. Like you can't pay your kids <laughs> and then take the money back from them, right? So what I do is I'm going to pay my kids and then they're going to have to pay for their own sports, their own clothes, their own food if they're going somewhere, not like our household food. But that way I'm I'm not paying any expenses for them anymore. Yeah. They have yeah. to save for college. They have to do all these things because I know I'm spending more than $12,000 a year on them. So I'm just shifting the responsibility of me making those payments to them making those payments. And it comes out of their account. And so it, it can't be like, if you need that $12,000 just to pay your mortgage, okay, no. But if that $12,000 is already going to be spent on them, then move it to them and then make them spend the money. And also it teaches them like how to take care of their money. 
I mean, it's, it's a no brainer, but look at it like this. Say your company made $80,000 and you had five kids and you could pay them each $12,000. 80,000 minus 60,000 is $20,000. Well, that's going to get you back into earned income credit. And that's how I'm talking about using different strategies to make the IRS give you money. And then you put that into your business. And remember, just because you made $80,000 net doesn't mean that that's actually what you took home, right? So a lot of businesses, you're actually cash flowing a lot more than that. But you have all these other things that you're deducting because they're business expenses that you already have to pay for. Another thing is you can rent your home from yourself. So like if your business takes over your house for a day to do marketing and videos and all that stuff, then how much would your house, if you were to go rent a house, how much would that rent for? Then the company can rent that from you and you don't have to include that on taxes if they do it less than 14 days a year. Okay. So how many of you live in a place where when the Super Bowl comes to town or when some big event comes to town, you could rent your house for $800 a day. That's when you want your marketers to come to town and take over your house and be like, okay, well, this is the best day of the year because every other house in town's now renting for a lot more. Or maybe some of you live in California or, you know, in a touristy area where one night of renting your house would cost $1,500. Well, then those are the kind of things that you need to use that to your benefit and turn your house into a full-blown Uh, marketing shoot, uh, photo shoot, or large business meeting. Now, if you have more than, if if it's just you or you would win other person, you don't need a whole house. So it's got to be reasonable. It's got to be ordinary, necessary, like the, you know, those things. But that's easily a way to cut $12,000 off of your income for the year. If you rent it for 12, you know, rent it for 14 days at $800, $900, whatever. You could, you could cut 12,000 or you could cut 15,000. And I, I don't know, some of you live in like mansions, you might cut 30,000 off, but whatever. But it's going to depend on where you live and the size of your place. And so like if, exactly. I, if I'm renting and I'm renting for $1,200, I can't call it 1200 a night. <laughs> no. <laughs> No. Another thing I want to mention is um, retirement plans. Retirement plans are excellent tax strategy. A lot of people, and this is for people like with all levels of income, but I'm going to tell you a story. At the end of last year, we were doing some tax strategy for a client. And one of the things that we were doing was moving, I was going to set up a 401k plan and move some money over there to him. And he was so against 401k plans. He did not want to put money into a 401k plan because that's just dumb, right? Well, he had money setting in savings. And I was like, dude, come on. If we move this money here from this one savings account to over here to a 401k plan, which you don't even have to invest in the stock market. It can just be a savings account. If you move $25,000, it's going to save you $15,000. This was only for him because of where he was and the strategies right. we were using and all this stuff. But it's not normally going to save you that much, but for his case, it did. And so he was like, okay, I'll do it. He was still, he was still not excited about it, but I'm like, mm-hmm. it's $15,000. Like you're going to save $15,000 just to move money from one account to another. And then you can also take a loan from that account to invest back in your business. You can take a loan back from that for up to 50% of what 
you have the account. So it's an amazing strategy. A lot of our generations that are in their 20s and younger, they are totally against 401k plans or any kind of retirement plan because they've heard so many bad things about them. Do not be so against them that you don't use good strategy because I'm sorry, if you're going to pay the government $15,000 just because you're hard headed and you are like, I'm not doing that then that's not smart. That's not a smart business move. Would you rather pay the IRS $15,000 or move $25,000 of your money from one account to another? Yeah, move the money. Move the money. So putting money in a 401k does translate into a deduction on your taxes in some way. Yes. 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 <laughs> you are not talking to the tax expert. You are talking to like <laughs> the tax idiot right here. Now, I'm not the one that handles the taxes in my house. So I might have some of those like super basic questions. <laughs> hey, that's cool though, because you know, another thing is a lot of you are probably DIYing your taxes and yeah. that's totally okay when you first start in business. But I'm going to tell you, you got to learn the basics because if you don't, when the IRS comes knocking, first of all, you're not going to know what the crap you were supposed to be doing because TurboTax is not telling you that stuff. Secondly, you're you're bleeding money when you're DIYing because you don't have any strategies that you're using. And even if you've heard on this podcast some strategies and you're like, hey, I want to do that, there's more to them than that, right? So like right. paying your kids is not like, okay, hey, I'm just going to go pay my kids. Like that's not how it works. There's some things that you have to make sure that you're doing there's some things also like you don't have to pay social security and Medicare if you're paying from your a sole proprietorship. So there's lots of things that you need to know that go into that, right? And so that's kind of why you need someone that says, hey, this is exactly what you need to do to put the strategy in place. And I'm sorry, but this is my thoughts. If something's going to save you $5,000 on your taxes in actual tax dollars, why would you not pay someone $500 to explain to you how to do that? And not even that it's going to cost you $500, but it's better to, to know exactly what you're doing. Don't try this at home is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you know, it, without any expertise or anything, like don't DIY your stuff without at least getting some education on it. And that's the thing, like going back to it, employing our kids or paying our kids, I've known that that's something you can do. Like I've known. And part of the reason I knew that was because when we lived in New York, so like four or five years ago, my oldest daughter did some modeling work there, like officially, like had a work permit and the whole nine, like she was employed. It was, it was weird. It was surreal as a parent, you know, and um, (laughs) we had to get like a very specific ad account set up. Like the way the, the rules were in New York, a certain amount had to go into like a trust. So I know that there's moving pieces and I feel like that has prohibited me or held me back from jumping and paying my kids because they do a lot of work for me. I mean, people who follow me in my business see my kids all the time. Right, right. So I know there's a ton of moving pieces. Yeah, but the rules for you hire your kids In most states, there's no laws prohibiting your kids from working for you. They don't have to have tax permits. They don't have to have all those those things. Like the key is just to have someone say, sit down with you, look at your state laws and make sure that you're exempt. Secondly, to set them up where they're like a contract, like you would any other employee that you have um, the correct forms for them, just like you would any other employee and that you set them up a separate bank account that you do a W-2 for them. You do not see that's the thing. You get to move $12,000 to them 
they don't have to pay social security or Medicare because they're your kids. As long as it's paid from a sole proprietorship and not an escort, it can't be paid from a corporation or anything. Okay. Um, And then, so if you have a corporation, what you do is you pay a management company and then the management company pays the kids. So there's a step. (laughs) Yeah. There's just a step that you have to do. But think about this. Like if you have, how many kids do you have? Four. So $48,000, if you can afford to pay your kids that much, $48,000 could come right off of your deductions. Okay. Say, say your tax rate is 25% or 20%, like that's $10,000 or more. So it would cost you what, $500 or $300 or something to get the information Right, to exactly. actually implement, implement to save 10 grand. I love how you mentioned how the kids pay for things. Back episode 35, I'm pretty sure it was, was with a gentleman, John Lanza. We talked about allowance, which is different. Like I'm not saying it's the same right. thing. It's a different concept, but it's the same money management concept. And it's a very similar strategy where you're paying them, but you're giving them more responsibility. So you're not like, if you go to Disney on ice, you're not buying them popcorn and candy corn or whatever. You're not even buying their ticket to Disney on ice because you're giving them $12,000. Like, no. There you go, that too. It's just taking the, the line item out of your budget and putting it into their, their budget. And then they're learning those money skills. So it's a win-win. And they're learning how much you bleed money on them, right? Like <laughs> kids don't get it. They're like, but but I want this toy. And I'm like, no, I mean, my gosh, every time we go to the store, you want a toy. But it, when it's their money, like my son, my son, he will spend every dollar that hits his bank account. Like yep. he's horrible at money management. My daughter, I say, look, she wants, she wants the Under Armour pants. And I'm like, okay, there's these at Walmart for $10. The Under Armour ones are going to cost you 30. I'll give you 10. You can pay the, th- pay the extra 20. And she's like, nah, I'll buy the one. But no, you were crying while I go because you wanted these. So, I mean, you have money, you can spend it. I'm not spending that because you'll wear them one time for one thing. And that's it. And the kids, they do handle money differently when it's their own. Oh, gosh. Yes. Yes. They hoard it. So this was a, I went on a field trip with my daughter's class and it wasn't my group. It was somebody else's group, but there was a little boy who went on, he didn't have money for the rides. And so there were rides there. So the, the chaperone and the small group, you know, you had like three or four kids paid for the little, the little boy to go on all the rides with the rest of his group. Then at the end, they went and got a snack. The kid pulls out a 20. I don't want to spend it on the rides. I wanted to spend it on the snacks. Uh-uh. Kids are so funny. Like uh-uh. that's something my kiddo would do. She's always asking for like those LOL surprise toys. She got $25 for Christmas. Didn't want one of those LOL toys anymore. They're expensive and they're dinky. Yes. And they they you could spend a hundred dollars on that stuff in a minute. And they don't understand the value if you don't teach them. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think even if it's, even if you can't afford $12,000, like that's the math. Sure. But if you can afford $500, I mean, like whatever you're already going to spend on them, just shift it. Because if you can, if they're working for you in your business, it makes all the sense in the world to shift every dollar to them so they can see. Yep. And it's going to benefit you at tax time. And that's what I love is that this isn't, a strategy that's going to cost people money because it's money you're already spending. So it's just shifting the way. I mean, it's almost a mindset shift, except it also has to happen in a bank account. (laughs) Yeah. So all the strategies we teach usually don't include making you spend more money. I mean, 
yes, at the end of the year, you're, I'm going to be like, is there anything you need to buy? If you're already, if you're like teetering, especially with all the new tax laws, you've heard all the new tax laws. They are very heavily based on making sure your strategy is spot on. When you're making over, you know, the hundred, two hundred thousand dollar mark, you better have a strategist because things get hairy when you're doing that, and you need to make sure that you're using strategy there. If you're making over a hundred thousand dollars and you don't have a tax strategist, and I don't mean going down to the local thing on the corner and getting your taxes in. I mean, someone who's really looking out for you to make sure that you're paying the least tax possible. You need to hire someone. I understand if you're making under 30, 40,000, maybe you can't afford one right now and you're DIYing. For those people, I'm going to say, take my tax course because it's going to teach you all of those things that you need to know. That's why I did it for all those people that sat across from me crying because I was handing them a $50,000 tax bill when their business was only making $40,000. And they were like, how the heck did this happen? The IRS is not very kind when it comes to your audit. And if you don't have the stuff, they will rip you a new one. And for all those people that sat across from me crying and that I run lives on a daily basis, not because of any, not because I wanted to, but because that was the law. I made this for them. Because no one teaches you what you're supposed to do. So that's your first step. You're not, right now, if you're making under $40,000, you are not trying to save money on taxes. You're just trying to figure out what the crap you're supposed to be doing. Okay, (laughs) what kind of entity do I need to be? What kind of records do I need to be keeping? What kind of bookkeeping do I need to do? How can I make this easier? All those things are what I teach in that. And then I also teach strategy. So you can take that plan to any accountant and say, this is what I want to do. This is this is where I want to be. Or you can DIY it on TurboTax as long as, I mean, it teaches you exactly what you need to do in order to do that. But if you're making over 40 or 50,000 after expenses, I think it's time to stop DIYing on TurboTax because you're probably not doing yourself any favor. You're just not. There's so many things that an accountant can do to help you that you just don't understand. You can't even fathom because you don't know. I don't even call myself an accountant because accountants do things wrong and they don't give you their time and they don't educate you. So I always refer to myself as a, a tax strategist because I don't want you to think that they're the, they're two of the same. One pretty much keeps you in compliance and does your taxes for you and, tell, and sends you a bill. The other one is more focused on strategies to help you pay the least tax. So can you tell me, I know you mentioned the course, where can people learn more about you and working with you? I don't know uh, when this is going to air. So I'm going to say if you are interested in the course or you're interested in working with us, go to my website, carlottathompson.com. There is always a wait list for the tax course if if it's not open enrollment. So you can get on that wait list. Also, there will be be a link in order to get in contact with us. There will be a phone number you can call. And that way we can kind of see how, what makes sense for you. Well, thank you so much, Carlotta. This has been, it's been very informative. I feel like it was very, very heavy with a ton of value. So we are going to have show notes. We will have the links to your website and everything right in the show notes so everybody can get to them quickly and easily. And I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to help us all with our taxes this year. Awesome. It was so exciting to talk to y'all and uh, just find us. We're on Facebook. You can go to our website. We're everywhere. So just holler out at us. Thank you so much. Bye. You will find all of the links mentioned in this week's episode and the show notes at megbrunson.com slash 76.
As we mentioned in the beginning of the show, we hope that you'll join us on Friday for our family reflections, on Monday for some marketing content, and back here on Wednesday for another Midweek Mastermind. Next week, we will meet Samantha Zumwalt, the 16-year-old CEO of Samantha's Slime Shop. If your kids are anything like mine, slime is a huge part of their lives. And Samantha has found an amazing way to capitalize on the love of slime. This is an episode that you and your kids will enjoy together. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk soon. Bye. Don't miss my mom's next episode. Bye.